Dennis, my battery died that I just changed, so I'm going to move this to the middle. She does keep that high, Gary. I don't know. That's crazy. All right. <clears throat> Man, as we're singing these songs this morning, uh, I just keep thinking as we're going through this, how this God that we worship is more than just some religious idea, something that we choose to, to work up in our minds to believe. We're talking about a person who is reality. And not just a person who is reality, but a person who is ultimate reality. The prime mover, the uncaused cause, who created all things. Nothing exists. Nothing exists that was not created by our God. And yet this same God, who never fails, will not fail us now. He chooses to engage with us. He chooses to care about, this blows my mind, to care about the things in the life of a little worm like me. In all of this vast universe, we are just nothing more than dust. And I have to tell you, from a, a, from a secular perspective, if we started by accident and progressed through time by a series of accidents to get to this pinnacle of life that we're at now until we change by another accident, then what significance could any of us have in this life? What significance could this pathetic little planet have that is small even by our solar system's standards? And our solar system is insignificant, negligible in the universe. Except for God has set his favor on this big blue marble that he has put in this position, in this place, so that in its orbit it would hide behind Jupiter enough that most of the space shrapnel that would destroy us hits the giant planet of Jupiter, which is tiny by comparison to planets in other solar systems. So that we, worms that we are, on the speck of dust in space, smaller than the Who's down in Whoville, <laughs> that we would be protected and preserved, that life would come together exactly as it would have to for life to exist. That water, the most basic thing that we deal with in life, would go against so many other principles. How many other things do you know that expand when they freeze? Most things, as they get or they continue to shrink. And the solid form is more dense than the liquid form, but not water. Weird. Why? Because a designer designed it to be that way. And he chose to set his favor on us. We're not like angels. We're not some superior being. We're not the pinnacle of all things because we're smarter than you know, the animals in some way. Certainly not that we're more pure. 
But we alone were created in the image of God. Now, this wasn't even the sermon. I just got excited because our God cares about us. Now, he cares about all of the universe. That's why it continues to exist. But out of all things, he cares about us. And out of all people, God loved the world so much that he sent his son. But out of all people, he loves his children in a unique, special way. Those who have come to him and found refuge in Christ who have seen him as precious and embraced him as everything. Those are his children. If you're a parent, you know you might love everybody in the neighborhood, but your kids are special to you. Kids are to be protected. Kids are to be cherished. But my kids, they're different. <laughs> my kids are perfect. Because they're my kids. Say amen if you're a parent who thinks that. Amen. Right? You know God thinks that about us. He knows that we are imperfect. He knows that we are nothing but dust. And he has compassion on us. But because we are his children through his son. Because we've been fully adopted in Christ. Those who are in Christ. When God sees us we are perfect. Not by what we've done. Certainly not. Take a look at yourself. You know better. You don't even need a Bible to tell you that. You already know intuitively that your best motives are impure. The very best you have to offer, if we understand God at all, are like filthy rags before Him. And yet our God cares about each of us. And he, when he sees his children, those who have claimed his name, those who have been called according to his name, that God sees us as perfect, just like Jesus Christ, because we are in him. That's mind-blowing to me. <coughs> That's a freebie. No charge. But I would like that to kind of settle in for us to sit as, a, as a, a tray, a foundation underneath what we're going to be talking about in Luke chapter 10 today. So that it sort of supports and holds our thoughts as we look at how God views us, at how God appoints and uh, sends us as he chooses to use us for his purposes in building his kingdom. Bigger than that, I want us to understand how he sees us and how we can rightly see him. Before we turn to Luke chapter 10, let's pray together. Father in heaven, you are beyond figuring out. Our minds are not nearly big enough to begin to scratch the surface of comprehending who you are. And yet... You've set eternity in our hearts. You've given us a desire for the eternal, a desire for you. Today, we're all here for different reasons. Some are here against their will. They've been coerced into being here or dragged into being here. Some are here because 
it's the habit and we you know we just do that on sunday mornings and so we kind of check that off our agenda some are here because we can't imagine being anywhere else at this set aside time than gathered with your people in the name of your son jesus christ being filled by the power of your holy spirit so father as we open your word today we want more than anything else to magnify you. To make your name great. To bring glory and honor to you. Father, we know that the enemy seeks to, to steal, kill, and destroy. And he is right now actively wanting to keep us from receiving what you have for us. To interrupt our worship with thoughts of all of the other things in life, the hurts done to us, the fears and struggles that remain for us as we look at how life plays out. <laughs> Father, steal all these things from us. Break in, snatch them from our minds, silence the voice of the enemy right now in this moment. Take out the heart of stone inside of us. Give us a heart of flesh that responds to your word. Father, help us to forget the speaker. Forget the style. To feast on your substance. These things we pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. As I mentioned, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 today. So I would invite you to open to it. If you don't have a Bible of your own, you're going to want one. Uh, we have plenty here, so please, by all means, if you don't have one, take one. Use it today. Take it with you. Make it yours. Write in it. If you have a friend that needs one, take it. Give it to them. A Bible is meant to be used, not to be collected, not to sit on a shelf and gather dust. As we get into Luke chapter 10, there, we're covering a lot of ground here. We're only going to cover a piece of it today, and we'll look at some more next week, and we'll, we'll probably spend a few weeks just to try to develop some of these ideas. Um, but there are some roles that we will see in this text. Hopefully you'll catch them as we read through it. I'm going to read through all of chapter 10 with you. I won't ask you to stand as I might normally, but I would ask you to set your heart aside at this time in reverence for the reading of God's Word. If you would like to follow along with me in Luke chapter 10, I'll be reading from the New International Version. And for those of you who noticed the difference, I did update my Bible to a newer NIV. I, didn't, I wasn't <laughs> excited about it. I just want you to know that. But something was defective in my previous one, and the print kept shrinking on me. It kept getting smaller and smaller, so I had to get a, 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 several pairs of new cheaters and comfort print. Might be the oldest thing I've said this week. All right, so as we read this, I want to encourage you. If you are able to focus uh, uh, in on what is being said by following along, then do so. If you would prefer to close your eyes and take it in without uh, reading along, then do so. But one way or another, let's engage with God's word. Starting with verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, 
By the way, some texts, some manuscripts say 70. Uh, the rendering here is 72. And sent them two by two ahead of him, ahead of Christ, to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the powers of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Let me read that again. Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Amen. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, 
and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Hmm. So to a Levite, the temple worker, when he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. And he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. May the Lord bless the reading of his word together. As we look at this chapter, as I mentioned, we're only going to be getting into part of it today. We're going to be looking at a particular aspect that I, uh, I think is crucial for us to get. But before we do, uh, I want to kind of get an overview of what, what we're having. That's why I wanted to read this chapter for you. We'll revisit it as we go. But in Warren Wiersbe's uh, commentary on Luke, when he gets to chapter 10, he points out that there are, this is about what Christians do, or more specifically, who Christians are in their roles. And he identifies three roles here uh, in this chapter. I think rightly identifies them. So I wanted to share those with you today as a sort of a backdrop for it. The three roles of Christ followers that we see in Luke chapter 10 are ambassador, neighbor, and worshiper. Ambassador neighbor, and worshiper. We'll talk more about that as we go through, talk about those specific roles. But an ambassador is one who represents the Lord. And a neighbor is one who reflects the character of the Lord, does the types of things that the Lord would do. And a worshiper focuses in on the presence of the Lord. We want to be able to recognize these roles and apply them in our lives to be able to live these things out. If we're going to live the purpose that God has for us, we need to do the job that he's given us as ambassadors. We need to care for the people around us as neighbors. And more than anything else, we need to seek him as a precious jewel. To see Christ as the treasure above all treasures. And keep our focus there. We're going to focus in today on the first 24 verses. And in these first 24 verses, Jesus appoints 72 to go out. He's already set aside the 12 as special messengers. These 72 aren't part of that group. He hasn't elevated them all to that role of apostle. Although it's very related, they are all sent. They are all sent out to spread the word. 
to go before him to prepare the way, and they pair up, they go out in teams to these different places. The 12 were in a, a closer setting in the area of Galilee, and now they're spreading out throughout the region of Judea. As they go from the, the town to the region, they're expanding their reach. And Jesus will be moving the ministry resolutely toward Jerusalem and ultimately toward Calvary. As they go, he's sending out his followers, his disciples, to till up the soil, if you will. As he comes and he preaches, the crowds need to be prepared, just as John the Baptist did. So the disciples very much are taking on that role. You and I today also take on that role to prepare the way for the Lord, to go out and plant the seed, <coughs> excuse me, to uh, do all that we can to see that grow. There's a core reality we're going to focus in on that draws together the point of what we're looking at. There's a reason that this is included in the text. Our core reality is that the one who appointed us will never abandon us. The one who appointed us, who chose us and sent us, will never abandon us. Let's read that together. The one who appointed us will never abandon us. This is a very important point for us to grasp. So as we're working through this, we want to understand that all of the provision and protection we will ever need is ours in Christ. All of the provision and protection that we will ever need is ours in Christ. We get focused in on a lot of things. We see things from an earthly perspective. And as Paul said in Colossians 3.1, since you have been renewed, reborn, made his, changed, passed from death to life, now set your mind on things above. You're not the same as you were. Stop looking at things as if this is all there is. That's a secularist mindset that far too often we in the church still have. As if the only thing we have is what we can see. But we're called to live by faith rather than by sight. As we work through this, we're going to see that there are some things that we look for generally that we often think we can provide for ourselves by our work, by our diligence, by our skill, by our strength, even by our service of the Lord, even by our service of the church. We think sometimes we can make things right. I believe with my whole heart that this passage is here that Jesus says to his disciples what he would never say in another context and he doesn't say at other times. What Paul doesn't teach in his letters, what would be unwise for us to teach here, but Jesus teaches here that they should not be prepared. Now that flies in the face of everything that we see in Scripture. The Proverbs teach us over and over again, be wise, be prepared, save up. All the things that grandma taught you, save for a rainy day. Live below your means. Make sure you're prepared. Have clean underwear on in case you get an accident, right? Nobody ever heard that before. You know. 
The reality of what Jesus is teaching here is that it is different than anything else that he teaches other than in the context of this immediate sending of the 12 and the 70 or 72. Why? There's a reason. And we should always ask ourselves that. When we see something in Scripture, the Scripture's going in a certain direction, and then all of a sudden it takes a quick turn. Why? Why did it do that? Why does this look different? Why does it appear to contradict what we have learned in other places? Because the Scripture does not ever contradict itself. If it ever does, throw the whole thing away because God can't be trusted. I, I can't state that boldly enough. If we think that the Bible can be taken in parts, I like this part, I'm going to keep it, this part I'm going to throw away, then the whole Bible is worthless to us. It is either the inerrant word of God that never fails and has all authority, or it's just another book claiming to be something that it isn't, which makes it worthless and a lie. I would go so far as to say, if it isn't everything that we say it is, then it is actually evil. Because it claims to be God's very word. So it either is or it's evil. Why is Jesus teaching this? Because he wants us to see here that when he sends us, he will take care of us. When he chooses us, he will take care of us. First off, we see that our purpose comes from God. Our purpose comes from God. What Jesus does here with the 72 is very much what the sovereignty of God does with all of us. After this, verse 1, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Now, in John, he will say to his, to his disciples, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you. We see over and over the emphasis on this throughout the scripture. In the Old Testament, God chooses Israel. Israel doesn't choose God. Israel has no merit in itself that God should choose it, and yet he does. And he uses Israel to do his work, to establish a reflection of his presence among the nations. When Job is being impacted... Sorry, let me change stories. I, things come out of my mouth sometimes before they get to my brain. When Isaiah, that's the one I wanted, Isaiah is being impacted by a vision of who God is, he didn't seek that vision. He didn't ask to be called a prophet. God chose him, revealed himself to him, humbled him so that in encountering God, he saw his own sin, forgave his sin, Isaiah didn't seek that. An angel took the coal from the altar, a coal so filled with God's holiness that even the angel couldn't touch it. So he uses his tongs that God provides and he cleanses Isaiah and Isaiah's gratitude is overwhelming. And he does what God commissions him to do. This appointment that Jesus has here is a choosing with a purpose, a choosing and ascending. Note this every disciple of Christ is a minister, 
Every disciple of Christ is a minister. We've all been called to be missionaries. We've all been called to minister to one another. We have been chosen and sent. If you are in Christ, this applies to all of us. In this context, in the 72, he is giving us this picture to teach all of us as he is preparing his ministry. He's sending them out directly. More will be sent later. In Acts chapter 2, as the Holy Spirit comes upon the believers, all are sent. And ever since then, all of us have all of the Holy Spirit. Hopefully the Holy Spirit has all of us. Our purpose comes from God. Jesus appointed them and sent them. Notice they didn't have a conference. They didn't have a a survey of what they thought they should do. There's no church vote. How did they get things done without the church vote? Jesus said, do this. I'm setting you aside. I'm sending you out. I'm giving you a job to do. So if Jesus sends them out and gives them a job to do, who gets to determine what the job is? Anybody? Only two of you know? (laughs) If Jesus sends them out to do a job, who gets to tell them what job to do? That's a little better. The purpose that they have, the mission that they're on, is assigned to them. It's been given by God. They have been chosen and sent to do what the purpose giver has given. Notice also, not only does our purpose come from God, our provision comes from God. And I think we're moving into the place now where where this is set aside from the rest of the chapter. It's set aside from the rest of, of the story for this purpose, for us to be able to see this. There is much for us to see. But I think as we move into the next few points here, we begin to see what makes this particular narrative special and unique. Our provision comes from God. Our provision comes from God. He gives them the purpose. He says, I'm sending you out. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest. He's the Lord of the harvest. He gives the purpose to send out workers into his harvest field. We'll talk more about this next week. Notice what he says in verse 3. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't take a purse or a bag or sandals and don't greet anyone on the road. In other words, don't hang out. You're not, you're not there on vacation. You're not going to go play shuffleboard with some, some guys as you're going down the road. You're on a mission. Your job is to go in with the purpose. That doesn't mean if you see people, don't say hi to them. It doesn't mean any of that kind of stuff. It means be focused on missional relationships. As you go into these towns, as you encounter people, don't get caught up in, in uh, you know, we're going to go out and, and just hang out and go to a football game. Do what you do, everything that you do on purpose, with the intent of preparing the way for the Lord, because the kingdom is coming and is now here. This whole purpose that they've been given rests on Christ. So the provision that they will receive rests on that as well. If he sent them, he's saying, I will make sure that you have what you need. God will provide for all of your needs. Everything that you need will come together in this. Our provision comes from God. Now, as he sends them out, 
Verse 4, don't take a purse or a bag or sandals. Don't greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it'll return to you. In other words, you won't, you won't have that peaceful, easy feeling. Okay. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. Express gratitude. Take hold of what they give you in gratitude, understanding that this is the provision that God is making for his workers. I appointed you. I chose you and sent you to do a job. I gave you a purpose to get up in the morning, a reason to go out and do what you do. And because I appointed you, I will make sure that you are taken care of. But Lord, how are we going to do this? If we don't, I mean, if I don't take my extra clothes with me, then what am I going to do? Don't worry about it. I will take care of you. Now, it becomes really important for us to understand. This is a, is a, a statement that Jesus is making to them in this time that is specific to this context. He is not saying be thoughtless and unprepared. In another place, he will say, don't, you know, a couple chapters later, he'll say, don't worry about what you have to say. God will give you words. The Spirit will give you words. And that's great. And that's true. That does not mean that they don't have to go and study the Bible, that they don't have to listen, that they don't have to pay attention. It's a specific context and a specific statement that is telling them, don't stress. The same thing he's saying to them. In this context, look, you're going out to do a job. Let the boss take care of your provision. You go out and do it. Don't be distracted by trying to take your needs with you. Don't be distracted by trying to maintain your comfort. Don't be distracted by trying to get a better place. Somebody you know, offers you to stay with them. Eat, drink, be grateful. Don't look for an upgrade. That's what he's saying. Focus in on the purpose that I gave you, trusting that I will provide for you. Notice also, our protection comes from God. Our purpose comes from God. Our provision comes from God. Our protection comes from God. As we've already read in verse 3, he says, Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. We'll get to the rest of this in just a moment, but let's, let's take a look at that statement. I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. In other words, Jesus knows you are vulnerable. Everybody knows you put a lamb in with wolves, that's not good for the lamb. But what happens when the shepherd goes with the lamb? And the shepherd is more powerful than the wolves. Then that lamb, while it might be in danger on its own, is no longer in danger. It's protected. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Understand that the world is going to attack. Bad things are going to happen. Bad people are going to seek your destruction. The enemy of your soul, Satan himself and his minions, will seek to deceive, distract, discourage, and ultimately destroy you. But don't be afraid. I'm sending you. Yes, you're going out there, but you're not just lambs among wolves. You're lambs that I sent. 
And if I'm here to lay down my life for you, then why in the world do you think I would let the wolves overcome you? It might seem like it. It might look like it, feel like it, smell like it, sound like it. But I know what I'm doing. Trust me. Go, he says, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take stuff with you. <clears throat> Be grateful and uh, allow the Lord to provide. And he goes on to talk about uh, the, the judgment of these towns that reject. But jump ahead, <clears throat> excuse me, jump ahead uh, to verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They're fired up about this. We're going to talk about this in the next point. They are fired up. Because they're going out there and evil spirits are fleeing from them. Not really from them, from the name that they're coming in. Jesus then goes on to tell them about the protection that they have. He replied in verse 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He's affirming uh, the spiritual reality that they are noticing themselves. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. And to overcome all the power of the enemy, nothing will harm you. Now, let, just let that, let that sink in for a minute. He doesn't say the snakes won't bite you. But I've given you power over that. He doesn't say the scorpions won't sting you. <clears throat> he says, I'm giving you power over that. This is a really important understanding of God's protection. Job, that's where I wanted to stick Job in. Job, when he was facing all of the trials that he went through, lost his family, lost his reputation, lost his wealth, lost, lost his health, physically ailing. He's living on a dung heap, scraping his sores. That's how bad his life is. And while his friends are saying, Job, man, God is clearly against you. Job says, hey, I don't know what's happening here. But I know I didn't do wrong. And no matter what, I know this. God is always right and just and good. Therefore, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. Job trusted God. Even when everything that he could see or understand in this life seemed to be going wrong. The wolves seemed to be winning. He didn't get it. But he knew who did. And he trusted God. Stay, keep Luke 10 marked, but turn back in your Bible to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is the first of the major prophets, so it's pretty easy to find. It's a pretty thick book right after the Psalms or shortly after the Psalms. When you find the book of Isaiah, turn to chapter 43. <clears throat> Isaiah is speaking on behalf of the Lord in this chapter, in chapter 43. All of these prophecies, when a prophet speaks, they are speaking as the mouthpiece of God. So when they speak in the first person as God, it's God speaking through them. 
kind of a Charlie McCarthy thing for those of you who can remember that. He's, God's got his hand in the puppet. And in chapter 43, he is giving a picture to Israel of the fact that they have a savior, a champion, a God who will not allow them to ultimately be harmed. Now, let's press pause for just a moment because we know, because we're on this side of history, they're still, history had not been written in this portion yet. But we know that God will allow them to be exiled for Israel as a nation to cease to exist. God does allow bad things to carry out a greater purpose. But even in those bad things, he knows what he's doing. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you. They're good. You think they're bad, but they're good. You're in exile now, but I'll bring you back. You're in exile now because I'm building you. I'm changing you. Isaiah, as he's speaking to Israel, is assuring them here, God's not done. You're going to go through stuff. You're going to be attacked. You're going to go through the fire. You're going to go through the flood. But you're not alone. Listen, verse 1 and following but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the waters. Not if. When you pass through the waters. I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, when, not if, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, when, not if, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba for your, in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. This is the message that God has for his people. Speaking specifically to Israel here, but Israel, we are not of the tribe of Israel perhaps, but we are the people of God. We are called by his name, just as the nation of Israel was. And what he says to them, he says to you and me, yes, the fires will come. The floods will come. You might get thrown into the fiery furnace when you refuse to obey the king. But guess what? I made the fire. I can handle this. And I will be with you. Where is God in our suffering? Right next to you. His heart breaks for the pain that you feel. But God is not overwhelmed by it. He allows it and often even causes it. It's a discussion for another time. To be the refining fire in your life. He is not looking to harm you. His only design is your dross 
to consume and your gold to refine. To burn up everything that doesn't matter so that you come through shining like pure gold. Our provision and our protection come from God. Notice, not only does He give us our purpose and all the provision and protection we can ever need, but our power comes from God. This is what He says to them in what we read already in Luke chapter 10. He sends them out to do the work. He gives them the purpose. I am the one sending you as the Lord of the harvest. You are going out as workers. And I will make sure that you have all the provision and protection that you need. But notice that as they go out, they come back in verse 17, excited, filled with joy, because the demons are submitting in His name. Their power over demons comes from Christ because He's delegated His authority to them. He replies to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. There is a spiritual battle going on. There is a spiritual reality. I've seen it. I was there. And I've given you authority. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. Jesus is sovereign over all the physical and spiritual realm. And to overcome all the powers of the enemy, nothing will harm you. You might be thinking, oh my goodness, what, how is that possible? We know that there are martyrs who die for, the, die for the kingdom. They lay down their life. Jesus himself laid down his life, not as a martyr, but as a sacrifice. How can you say nothing will harm you? The same way Jesus has said everything that he said. It's significant that he says this right after saying, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I was there. Why weren't you there? Because you're human and limited. And what you see in this present moment, in this life, you only see from a small, really minuscule perspective. God sees it all. There is a greater reality that is bigger, that is beyond anything that we can comprehend. So when he says, nothing will harm you, what if you get cancer? Does that harm you? That can't harm me. Because I work for the king. And if God allows me to have cancer, it's because God is doing something through that cancer. Amen? Amen. Does anybody want cancer? Of course not. We're dealing with that every day right here. We've been praying for it. You heard Gary talk about that earlier. Nobody wants this. But God gives us these moments. He gives us these opportunities to be able to lift him up to do what we are called to do. And if God determines that cancer is the best way for us to do that, then speaking only for myself as one who doesn't have it, but one who can read this text, then give me the cancer. If it's what you want for me, Lord, if that's the work you have for me, then though you slay me, yet will I hope in you. He gives the purpose. He gives the provision. He gives the, the protection. And he gives us the power to overcome whatever needs to be overcome to do it. I watched my father... As I was growing up, I'm going to try not to lose it here. 
I watched my father as I was growing up be a very good man who made very little impact for the kingdom of God. Throughout my life, I love my dad. I don't have words to express that. He was my hero. And he was a good man. And he was respected by many. But he did not live out his purpose in the kingdom very well. And in his later years, after I was an adult and married, he got it more and more. And my father's real discipleship and growth didn't start until I was in my 20s. He was in his 40s when he began to get it. Having been saved for more than 20 years. But I never saw anything change him or have an impact the way he had an impact when he realized he wasn't beating this cancer. He had had it before. And it was hard. And he overcame it. And he's a strong man. I thought nothing could beat him. And God saw fit to use that horrible disease to set my dad on fire like I never saw. Many of you were here and you saw it. You saw the change. Most of you that are here got to see the better end of my dad's life already. But when the cancer hit and there was no more hope in human understanding, the doctor said, we can't do anything for you. And he could smile. And nobody could come in his contact without encountering Christ. That's why Jesus can say, nothing will harm you. Because the one who appointed you will never abandon you. Everything that you need, he has. Everything you could ever need, he wants to put in your hands to use as a tool. But if it isn't for the purpose that he gave you, then be prepared for him to take it away. All the adversity we face is an opportunity for us to trust Him. Notice lastly, He gives us our purpose, our provision, our protection, our power, but also our priorities come from God. Our priorities come from God. In the same text we just read, starting with verse 17, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to overcome all the powers of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, let's readjust your priorities a little. Verse 20, however, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, you're excited because things are working. You're excited because 
you're able to do something well, to do something effectively, and you're recognizing this power that is coming from you. But if you start prioritizing the power, if you start prioritizing success, even success in ministry, then you're taking your eyes off of what matters. What matters is your relationship with the Father, your relationship with God. They're submitting to you because you belong to me. Rejoice in that. Rejoice in that you belong to me. Set your eyes higher. Lift your gaze. Stop worrying about whether things are going well or going poorly now. Stop worrying about whether you have success in your life, in your work, in your ministry now. Stop prioritizing comfort and happiness now. None of that matters because all of it will go away. No matter how good you've got it now, nobody here gets off the planet alive. In the end, they dump you in a hole. I'm not trying to in any way take dignity from our lives and our deaths. But there is a very ignominious end to this life for us, for every person. And no matter how much we class it up, no matter how much we solemnize it with a, with a sacred ceremony, and we should, the end is still the same. The reality of all of it is either the reality of God connects perfectly with the realities that we face every day, or it's all a waste. That's why Paul said, if the resurrection isn't real, if we aren't going to be resurrected, if Christ himself wasn't resurrected, then we should be pitied above everybody because this is all a sham. So when the world says, nope, that didn't happen, your faith is a sham, it makes sense if it didn't happen. But if God is real, as I know with every fiber of my being, as you know, if you are in Christ, you know with every fiber of your being that he is 100% real. More real than the reality that you, can, that you can perceive. When we get that, then all the rest of this, man, we're just in the green room before the show. We're just spending time here getting ready for the real thing later. There's work to do here. There's preparation as we spread the word, as we build the kingdom, as we call others to him. But let's not get caught up in what seems real. When the one who is ultimate reality holds us in his hand, everything that we have or do, everything, is by his grace alone. Every breath that we have, every step we take, every good thing we do, every beautiful sunset or sunrise, every kindness we can show to someone else, it's just an extension of His grace. That's the priority that we need to grasp. Don't prioritize temporal things as if we really want to see what's real, we have to see it by faith. 
Because the things that are seen are temporary, and the things that are unseen are eternal. I want to challenge you to memorize a verse that I hope you can hang your hat on. Paul's words from Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. Paul dealing with a church that's faced persecution. Paul incarcerated, who will eventually be beheaded. He encourages them with this truth. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. You and I need to recognize that if God doesn't give it, we don't need it. There is no safer place than in God's hands. That doesn't mean it isn't scary. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's really scary. Trust Him. He has untold riches. He is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. So let's embrace this reality. We'll close by reading this verse together. Philippians 4.19, let's read it together. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. Let's close in prayer. Father God, as we close out our service today, we thank You for the knowledge that the God who never fails will not fail us now. That the God who's never late is working all things out. Lord, no matter how difficult things are, we will choose to lift you high. You have sent us to do a work Lord, those of us here who belong to Jesus, Father, we will do your work. You've sent us. You will supply us. You have appointed us and you will never abandon us. So, Father, we will go forth in your grace for your glory. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.